The all-new Hyundai 2024 Santa Fe is equipped with everything you need to break free from the dull work week and embark on an adventurous weekend with your family. The all-new Hyundai Santa Fe's features like available H-Track all-wheel drive, standard third-row seating, available dual wireless charging pads. Nothing beats a weekend away with the family in the great outdoors, whether it's camping, hiking, river rafting, or anything in between. With third-row seating, nobody is left out. The entire family can experience the thrill together, and nobody wants a dead phone. Available dual wireless charging pads make it so nobody gets stuck, and we can check our fantasy baseball teams together. Learn more about the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe at HyundaiUSA.com. Call 562-314-4603 for complete details. Welcome to the Fantasy Baseball Today podcast from CBS Sports. <laughs> and first pitch, crushing! Deep left field! This is Got a fantasy question? Email fantasybaseball at cbsi.com. Get ready to win your league. Where fantasy becomes reality. Now, here's Frank, Scott, and Chris. Is Dylan Cease the latest breakout pitcher in fantasy baseball? Let's discuss. Welcome into Fantasy Baseball Today on Tuesday, May 3rd. Frank Stanfield joined by Scott White today on the show. We're going to recap all of Monday's action, hitters that we haven't talked enough about, April leaders, and of course, we'll get to Team Name Tuesday, and I have some of your email questions we'll get to as well. Take it away, Susan. Oh my good goodness gracious! Ten in a row, ten in a row. All right, we're not here to talk about the Yankees. Let's talk about Dylan Cease, Scotty. I'm going to start us off here with maybe the best start of Dylan Cease's career. Seven shutout innings, one hit, zero walks, 11 strikeouts, three of which came against Mike Trout. Trout actually struck out later in the game against Liam Hendricks, Golden Sombrero. You don't see that happen often. Anyway, for Dylan Cease, he had 11 swinging strikes in this start, uh, and he now has eight-plus strikeouts in four of five starts. He's allowing next to no hard contact, and to this point, he's got a 2.48 ERA, 0.93 whip, 39 strikeouts, over 29 innings pitched for Dylan Cease. Is this the best version that we've seen of Dylan Cease. What do you think, Scott? Maybe. Maybe. It may be. His K per nine is actually lower than last year, and his BB per nine, at least entering this start, was higher than last year. He had 10 walks and 22 and a third innings, or just 22 innings. 10 walks and 22 innings prior to this start. When he walked none in, in seven innings, allowing just the one hit. So, you know, obviously... This early in the year, your fifth start is going to make an impact on those numbers. Uh, I, I'm kind of nitpicking here. I mean, he, he looks great, but a lot of people thought he was going to look great, and he was drafted pretty high. And I think uh, I don't know that there's been anything definitive to say, okay, this is for sure the breakout for for Dylan Cease. I, I don't think I'm ready to go there, but it could be. I mean, he's doing enough things right that you could certainly see this being the start of a breakout. I've noticed he's throwing his fastball less this year and throwing that slider, which is just a tremendous slider, one of the best in baseball. Uh, he's throwing it even more. So it was nearly 39, it was over 39% entering the start slider usage for Dylan Cease that has uh, led to this early season breakout for him. 2.48 ERA. The underlying numbers love Dylan Cease as well. And he didn't get many ground balls in this start, but I noticed that Early on, his ground balls are way up. So in the past, you know, you couple fly balls with walks, pitching in 
that ballpark in Chicago. It's probably not the best idea, but if he's going to start to get more ground balls, then that's something that could absolutely help Dylan Cease as well. Scott, I know that yep. you usually have your big rankings update either Tuesday or Wednesday coming up. Do you foresee, I don't know, getting Dylan Cease inside the top 25 starting pitchers, maybe even higher than that? Probably not. No, uh, I don't think there's enough that I'm willing to, that I'm ready to drop out of that group. And again, like, I thought Dylan Cease was going to be good. He's been good. I, I don't know that I, I I don't know that I'm ready to move him up into an entirely different tier yet. Let let me let me see here if I can get my pitcher rankings open. So I have well I have Cease 28th already. The two names ahead of him, McClanahan and Manoa, I can tell you I like both of them more still. And then you go ahead of that. It's Darvish, it's Kershaw, it's Musgrove. You know, it's really high-end pitchers, and I, I just don't think I can go there yet with Cease. But 28th is pretty high, and it's not far outside of what you were talking about. Yeah, no, for sure. Also has a great mustache, by the way, Dylan Cease. Like <laughs> like the mustache quite a bit. So I might move him up yeah. in the rankings just because of that. But uh, as of now, the breakout looks imminent for Dylan Cease. I know a lot of people liked him coming into the season. Scott, how about you? Oh, my goodness gracious, from Monday's action. So I'm going to go with somebody who's far less rostered than Dylan Cease. I'm going to go with David Peralta of the Diamondbacks, who had a huge game here Monday. He had three hits. He hit his third home run. His numbers are pretty bad overall. He got his batting average over 200. I mean, he's not. I mean, he, he's in good company as far as having a bad batting average early this season. But I'll remind you. He kind of caught my attention toward the end of spring training. I started drafting him in some of those deeper rotisserie leagues, those 15-teamers where, you, you know, who who are you supposed to draft with your last few picks, right? Because uh, he had five home runs in spring in just 12 spring games, had three doubles as well. And there were some changes to his uh, his swing that were cited among Diamondbacks beat writers, but they didn't really go into great detail. So I didn't know what to make of it. And then he got off to such a bad start. I, I ended up dropping him most of those leagues where I drafted him, but he had such a big game here on May 2nd, right about the time you're starting to see some of those slow starting hitters show signs of life. Again, there were a bunch of examples of that over the weekend and, and, you know, May's going to be a critical month for a lot of these guys. I think it's going to tell us a lot more about how hitter seasons are going to play out than April did. That was certainly the case last season, right? And I think it'll be even more so this year. And so here, here he is at the start of April having a huge game that looks a lot like what he was doing in spring training. And that compelled me to look under the hood a little bit. David Peralta's ground ball rate is way down, way down from... 54.9% last year to 26.8% this year. I mean, that is opposite ends of the spectrum. And I don't think he can sustain a ground ball rate as low as 26.8%, to be honest. But if, if you know, if, if he can keep it under 40 and it's distributed be- between line drives and fly balls the way it is now, uh, maximizing batting average potential and power potential for him, Maybe David Peralta's going to have this this great season that he was hinting at in spring training, and he just fell victim to the same thing so many hitters did in April, with the the dead ball in the in the cold weather. 
Yeah, I did the same thing, Scott. I hadn't really looked into David Peralta before this game, but not really a lot of action going on on Monday. We only had an eight-game slate, so you take a look under the hood, as you mentioned. 91-mile-per-hour average exit velocity. That's great. The average launch angle, 21 degrees. That's never been higher than 8.3 degrees for David Peralta. So that coincides with, again, the ground ball rate coming way down, the uh, the line drives, the fly balls going way up for David Peralta. He's 19% rostered. Uh, Scott, is there? does he need to be rostered in anything other than five outfielder leagues for now? No, I don't think so. And I, I do want to stress, it's it's just one game of him looking good. But keep an eye on it. It's more of a keep an eye on him situation because there are some positive underlying signs for David Peralta than a rush out and pick him up situation. Uh, as we saw with Max Kepler, Last week, the way offense is going early on, it, it won't take many games like this for Peralta to become a hot commodity off the waiver wire. But right now, it is just one. All right, so keep your eyes out for David Peralta. Uh, so he's doing some good things right now, and we'll see if it translates to success. Uh, Scott, I had a few other pitchers along the lines of Dylan Cease where I'm wondering, is this the best version of the, these pitchers that we've ever seen before? And Zach Gallen was another one pitching on Monday, gets his revenge, his first time pitching against the Miami Marlins since he was traded away from the team. He goes six and a third, five hits, two runs allowed, zero walks, five strikeouts. That's back-to-back quality starts for Zach Gallen. And through four starts, 1.27 ERA, 0.70 whip. And the biggest improvement, Scott, I've seen, the control. Uh, Zach Gallen has four walks through five starts, no, for his career, 3.6 walks per nine. So that's been the the biggest key to the success that I've seen. The swinging strike rate is back up this season as well. What do you think, Scott? Is this the best version we've seen of Zach Allen? I wouldn't go that far. The strikeouts aren't where we've seen them before. He, he doesn't look like that burgeoning, quite like that guy we saw in, in, in 2020 who looked like he was... You know, we were already accepting him as an ace in fantasy, but he's not far off. And you mentioned the improved walk rate. I mean, if that holds, that's that's a big hurdle cleared. His swinging strike rate, he didn't get many in this start, but his swinging strike rate is back closer to where it was in 2020 than where we saw it last year. Last year, it was near the bottom among qualifiers and and considering the elbow injury he had early in the year, I was worried you know, that he still had damage in there that was going to prevent him from from being a high-end pitcher. But so far, so good for Gallon. Not willing to say it's the best we've seen yet, but we'll see how, we'll see if he keeps it going. Right now, I feel much more optimistic about him than I did coming into the year. All right, let's talk about Max Fried, who makes it three straight quality starts. This one at the New York Mets. Six innings, two runs, six strikeouts, two zero walks, 15 swinging strikes is a season high for Max Fried in this start. And I noticed, Scott, that he's using his changeup more this season. He used it a season high 17% in this start, and it's just up in general this year. So that gives him another weapon to go along with the two breaking pitches that Freed has, the slider, the curveball. Of course, the fastball velocity has been up this year, but it was down a little bit more um, in this start. 27 strikeouts to just one walk for Max Freed. Scott, I'm kind of thinking the K-to-walk ratio in conjunction with the ground balls that he gets, and if this changeup is a legit weapon for Max Freed, then this might be the best version of him that we've seen. <laughs> I'm just going to keep saying that for all these guys, by the way. Uh, yeah. <laughs> uh, 
Like I, I think it's hard for Max Fried to get much better. You mentioned the walk rate is better this year. It's it's so good that I, he's obviously going to have to walk more guys. It's not like control's been a problem for Max Fried in recent years. Uh, the the swinging strike rate, the ground ball rate, they're both good. They've been good. They're they've been about what they've been since he he took this next step forward. You know, I'll remind you that Max Fried is a guy who had a uh, two. 44 ERA over his final 25 starts last year and a 225 ERA in 11 starts in 2020. So I think he's just good. I I mean, I don't know how much better he can get. Maybe if he got that strikeout rate up uh, over one per inning, but, but that hasn't been the case so far this year. So it's not like we can say that's happening for him. No, he's just, he's just a really good pitcher. Fair enough. Last one I wanted to mention, Chris Bassett on the other side of that game. He now has six plus strikeouts in each start this year. He has eight or more strikeouts in two of those starts. He goes seven innings, three runs, eight strikeouts to one walk in this start. And the slider usage remains up for Chris Bassett this year. Five of his 11 swinging strikes came on that slider. He's got a 2.61 ERA underlying numbers. Uh, all look great for Chris Bassett as well. And Scott, I've mentioned multiple times that I, I'd be looking to buy high if people are are not buying in on Chris Bassett or just overall not giving him the respect he deserves because that seems to have been the case like the past couple of seasons. You know, his ADP was a little bit higher this year, but uh, overall Mm -hmm. he just, he looks like a very reliable pitcher over a strikeout per inning as well. So I'd be looking to buy high. I I think that Chris Bassett is just reliable. Yeah, I think more than saying he's gotten better this year, it's just he's with with every year that he continues to pitch like this, he becomes more trustworthy. And so maybe now we're approaching him the way he's deserved to be approached when in the past it might have been with more skepticism. For sure. Let's take a look at some hitters, Scott, that we haven't talked enough about. And we get at least one Whit Merrifield question per day. So let's just have that Whit Merrifield conversation. He goes 0 for 4 on Monday. He's batting 151. But I'm not worried, Scott. Maybe that's because I don't have Whit Merrifield on any of my teams. His BABIP is 183. That's well below his career mark. Batted ball data slightly off for Whit Merrifield. A little bit more fly balls this year. Infield fly ball rate is up a little bit. His expected batting average is 260. That's basically where it was at last year as well. Look, mm-hmm. if anyone in your league is freaking out about Merrifield, especially in a categories league, I'd be looking to buy. I think he's going to be fine. I think the steals are going to come along as well. Yeah, so I actually wrote an article before we started recording this podcast. It's called Why Offense is About to Make a Comeback. And I've referenced a couple times well, on the podcast just today and also yesterday how... You know, already in in recent days, we've seen offense ticking up. We've seen players who appeared to have flatlined. We we see them coming back to life again. And we're going to see a lot more of that in May just by virtue of, well, that's always what happens in May. Offense, Offense tends to get better every month until September when it goes down again. But April's the worst month, and the biggest improvement tends to be between April and May. But that improvement was especially pronounced last year. Like it was, the offense was horrible last April too. And it was, it was even more of a shock to, to the system coming off the juice ball era. It seemed like the only players who could hit at all 
in JD, uh, it last April where JD Martinez and, and your mean Mercedes. <laughs> and I actually, in this article, I, I list out a bunch of very high end players and compare their April numbers last year to rest of season start contrast. Nobody was hitting last April and it feels like nobody's hitting this April either. But I, I suspect we're going to see just as dramatic of an improvement here across the league in May. Uh, you know, there are reasons to suspect the whole environment has gotten worse for hitters with, with the deadened ball being applied more universally and, and humidors being introduced to every park. But there are some, there, there are some counteracting elements that aren't being accounted for as much. Namely, strikeout rate is down this April, and strikeout rate hasn't been down in decades. I think that's the effect of the sticky substance ban. And the humidors could actually work to hitters' advantage in most venues because they're, 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 they're being stored across the league at 70 degrees, 50% humidity, uh, we've seen 50% humidity knock down fly balls, like deaden the ball more in dry environments like Colorado and Arizona, but in wetter environments where it's normally above 50% humidity, which it hasn't been so much yet here early in the season, the colder, the coldest month of the season. But as we get into those summer months, humidity is going to go up in a lot of these places and the ball being stored in that humidity is, it's going to be a livelier ball. So the, the comeback for offense, at least in a lot of the league, could be even more significant than we've seen in years past. And even if it isn't, I think it'll be a lot like last year. And, you know, don't sell. Don't sell any hitter you believe in. Not, not unless we get to the end of May and they're still struggling. Mm-hmm. I think Whitmerryfield and Cattell Marte are probably the face of buy low hitters right now, just because we get so many questions. I think some people might even be close to, I I get questions about dropping these guys. Don't drop these guys, hold. And uh, if someone else in your league has them, I'd be looking to buy. I quickly pulled up the highest humidity, the cities with the highest humidity in in the United States, Scott, and uh, obviously a lot of Florida cities on here, but San Francisco stands out, Seattle. Um, I know you've mentioned Atlanta before as well, so... Maybe hitters specifically in, in in those cities on those teams are the ones that we could see a big boost from. Yeah. In, you know, uh, Saris of the Athletic thinks San Diego is going to be the most significant one. But the fact of the matter is, like, most places where they play baseball in the summer months are pretty humid. Yeah, You know, Colorado and Arizona are kind of exceptions as far as that goes, which is why it made sense, you know, if they thought the ball was too lively in those environments, introducing the humidor, the, the humidor to store balls in that kind of environment, but it's going to play differently in other places. And I think maybe not so much in April, but for the majority of the season, more to the benefit of hitters. Wow. I mean, look, if offense goes up in San Diego, we might be talking about Eric Hosmer hitting 400 for the entirety of the season. So I'm just going to throw (laughs) that out there. Uh, Another hitter we haven't talked enough about Glaber Torres. He went two for four with his third home run on Monday. And I noticed the stack ass numbers are surprisingly up for Glaber Torres. He's another one. I hadn't really looked into him yet, but the average exit velocity, average exit velocity, hard hit rate, his expected batting average, his expected slugging percentage, they are all currently career highs for Glaber Torres. And he's got back to his aggressive swinging ways. And it, it, that's something I've mentioned in the past where you look at 2020 and 2021, 
Gleyber Torres was much more passive. He wasn't swinging as much. He wasn't chasing pitches out of the zone. He was trying to be something that he wasn't. And so far this year, his swing rate, his chase rate, they both closely resemble his breakout 2019. So, Scott, I think that there are some really interesting points here with Gleyber Torres. He's 70% rostered. I'm not saying that like he needs to be on a team, but I'm kind of intrigued here. What do you think? Yeah, I am too. I like anybody whose production suddenly ticks up <laughs> in the next week. I'm going to be more interested in it. Uh, he had a strong spring too. I, I think that's I think that's noteworthy given the the weirdness that surrounds hitting in April these days. If they looked like a different player uh, when they were still playing in those warm environments of of in his case Florida, I think that's noteworthy. And yeah, I, I think he summed it up fine. Like there there's more reason for skepticism with Torres than with Merrifield, but I think there's reason for optimism too. Austin Riley, I feel like I haven't mentioned his name at all this year, and he deserves it because uh, he has been awesome so far. So I am willing to take a big old L for this one because he, yeah, again, two for four with his seventh home run on Monday and the stat cast numbers for Austin Riley. I mean, I'm looking, there's a whole lot of red on this page. Average exit velocity, 92nd percentile. His max EV, 98th percentile. Hard hit rate, 97th percentile. I know there's a lot of overlap here, but... Basically, Austin Riley's crushing the ball, and he's actually making more contact now than he was last year. So, Scott, I don't yep. know if there's anything to add, but obviously you were someone that was uh, very invested in Austin Riley. Yeah, I mean, there's a chance he's he's continuing to get better, even. And I I just, I think he's a stud. I think he's a stud at, the, at a position that needed more studs. So it's it's good to see. The plate discipline, I know I just mentioned the strikeout rate is down, but the walks are even up. So 23% mm-hmm. K rate, 10% walk rate, you love to see it. He's Yeah. He truly looks like he's just getting better, which And and that's a sign that pitchers fear him too, I think. You 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 often see that with a breakout hitter whose plate discipline doesn't really stand out. It it begins to stand out more in the years that follow. How about his teammates, Scott? Travis Darno, three for four with three RBI, and he's now batting 333. And his pull rate, I feel like I've said this for more than a handful of hitters already, but uh, maybe the pull rate is just up in baseball. I'll, I'll look it up. But Travis Darno's pull rate, 55% this year, 39% for his career. The expected numbers love Travis Darno. Uh, he's pretty rostered, but I would say if you wound up with him as your first catcher in a one catcher league, just like, a fringe top 12 guy. He looks good right now, as long as he could stay healthy. That's, that's been the biggest issue for him. Yeah. And he's 85% rostered in CBS leagues. So it's probably too late to do anything about it. But I, I mean, obviously it, it doesn't take much for a catcher to enter the top 12 at the position. Cause there's rarely 12 who are performing up to, to that standard. But in 2020, the weird 2020 season, Travis Darno had career numbers at 321 with a 919 OPS, was a stud catcher. Uh, and then he had some health issues last year, was much worse than that. So seeing him bounce back with numbers more like 2020, I mean, the expected stats, the expected batting average, the expected slug, they're, they're almost exactly the same as they were in that 2020 season. So I'm not saying he's going to be a 900 OPS guy over the full year, but I, I think if you picked him up, you can have confidence in him as your starter moving forward. Jeremy Pena, last one I wanted to mention here, one for three with his fifth home run. The batting average has plummeted. It's all the way down to 215. 
But Pena is another one where the stat cast data looks very good right now. 92 mile per hour average exit velocity. He's got a 14% barrel rate. Uh, his BABIP is just 235, but I don't have any reason to believe that his BABIP should be that low. He hits the ball hard. It's not like he hits a ton of fly balls. Uh, Scott, I, again, I don't know if there's anything to add on Jeremy Pena, but if I have him on my team, I would still be optimistic. I, I would be happy to have him on my team despite this low batting average. That's Jeremy Pena. Yeah, I would too. All right, before we get to the news and notes, I want to remind everyone that we have a Facebook group. Uh, it's facebook.com slash groups slash fantasy baseball today. Lots of people asking good questions, waiver wire questions, trade questions, dynasty. Uh, you can join the conversation. You could join the Facebook group again. Uh, drop your comment. Um, drop a post in there, comment on other people's things. And it's just a fun community right now. So again, that's facebook.com slash groups slash fantasy baseball today if you want to sign up. Let's take a quick break and we'll get to news and notes right after this. Robert Half Research indicates nine out of 10 hiring managers are having difficulty hiring. If you have open roles, chances are you're feeling this too. That's why you need Robert Half. Our specialized recruiting professionals engage with our proprietary AI to connect businesses of all sizes with highly skilled talent in finance and accounting, technology, marketing and creative, legal, and administrative and customer support. At Robert Half, we know talent. Visit roberthalf.com today. The news and notes. Ryan Presley will make a rehab appearance at AAA on Tuesday, and if all goes well, we could see him this weekend. Jose Altuve was activated and hit leadoff on Monday against the Seattle Mariners. I believe he went hitless in that game. I will confirm it in just a second. 0 for 3 with one walk for Jose Altuve in that game. Wander Franco was back in the lineup after missing Sunday's game with hamstring tightness. He went 2 for 4 with a run scored and an RBI. Shohei Otani was out of the lineup Monday merely as a precaution. He actually pinch hit in this game. He went 0 for 1. The Twins placed Kyle Garlic on the IL and as a result, they promoted prospect Jose Miranda, who we spoke about on yesterday's podcast. Uh, Scott, Miranda hasn't done much so far this year in the minors, but last year he was amazing. 344 batting average, 30 homers across AA and AAA, lots of contact. The power was there. Do you believe that Jose Miranda is a must-add? He's 35% rostered. That's putting it a little strong, but... Anywhere you, any league that uses standard rotisserie lineups with the corner infield spot, I would say add Miranda. Any league where you need third base help, I would say add Miranda. I was encouraged that he was in the lineup right away at third base, even though defense is, is probably his biggest shortcoming. They went ahead and slotted him at third base. He went over four, but didn't strike out. And, and making contact is something he's done throughout his minor league career. It was the power breakthrough that uh, sent him surging up the rankings last year. And even though he was off to a slow start at AAA, he was showing signs of coming around. His last 13 games there hit 300 with a home run, eight doubles, and only three strikeouts in those 13 games. All right, so let's see if uh, Jose Miranda can carry some of that production over to the majors. Chris Bryant played catch on Sunday, but remains without a timetable. He is on the IL with a back injury. Josh Rojas will soon begin a rehab assignment and is expected 
back in the majors during Arizona's upcoming homestand. Last year, Rojas hit 264 with 11 home runs and nine steals. Scott, would you be looking to stash Josh Rojas in category leagues right now? He's 28% rostered. No, I don't think so. I mean, he just wasn't that productive last year, and the underlying numbers weren't strong either. I, yeah, I, I'm not really, I'm not really on board with Josh Rojas anymore. All right. I think he's a good player to have in deeper category leagues. If for nothing else, the position eligibility, second base, shortstop outfield. So if you play with a middle infielder, five outfielders, it's a nice person to have around on your team. Luis Arias was reinstated by the Milwaukee Brewers. He should be in the lineup on Tuesday. After sitting out on Monday, the Cardinals expect Tommy Edmond to be available for Tuesday's game against the Royals. Andrew Vaughn has now missed three straight games due to a right-hand contusion. Hyunjin Ryu began a rehab assignment at AAA on Monday. Miguel Sano could require a procedure to address his knee injury. Joey Wendell was out of the lineup Monday due to general soreness. Joey Gallo has now missed two straight games with left groin tightness. <clears throat> it's fine by me. Uh, Trey Mancini <laughs> has missed three straight games with rib soreness. And Robinson Cano was designated for assignment by the New York Mets. Mm. I would imagine he latches on somewhere. Will he be an everyday player? I don't know. For selfish reasons, I, I kind of want him to just Join back up with the Yankees just because it'd be a nice story, you know. <laughs> Join the team that he got called up back in the day. Uh, but we'll see uh, if there's anything out there for Robinson Cano. Well, and, and this is really good news for Dominic Smith, another guy who had a big spring and also a big weekend with a bad April in between. And, uh, you know, I'm not saying he's in line for every day at bats now because they might they might have him platoon a bit with J.D. Davis. I I believe he was not in the lineup against a lefty on Monday. Right. Yeah. But there's one less obstacle to his playing time. And and if he does pick it up at the plate, which I think he's capable of, then maybe he could turn out to be a bit of a post-type sleeper here. Yeah. He's hitting the ball hard, but launch angle is down. Expected numbers, not great. Look, you don't have to convince me. I've always been a Dom Smith guy, but uh, we'll see if this could lead to more playing time. It should, uh, at least against right-handed pitching. Let's take a look at the April leaders, and we'll start off with, uh, we'll basically look at the 5 by 5 categories, and we'll start off with qualified batting average leaders in April. Eric Hosmer, 389. Manny Machado, 386. Two Padres on this list, and Enos Harris thinks there might be more offense coming to San Diego. Just saying. Just saying. Uh, Nolan Arenado and Xander Bogarts both hit 375 in the month of April. Your home run leaders, Anthony Rizzo hit nine. Jose Ramirez and CJ Crone each hit seven home runs. Jose Ramirez, by the way, he is the number one hitter in both head-to-head points leagues and roto leagues through the first month of the season. So he has been awesome if you had a... (laughs) Top five pick in fantasy baseball this year. Run scored. Manny Machado has 20 runs scored, uh, had 20 runs scored in April. Mookie Betts had 19. Miles Straw, Bryce Harper, Shohei Otani each had 17. Scott, I wanted to stop here and take a look at Mookie Betts because I thought it was so interesting that he was second on this list in runs scored, yet it feels like he's off to such a slow start. I mean, obviously, it's just the context of hitting ahead of Freddie Freeman and Trey Turner and everyone else in that lineup. But what have you seen thus far with Mookie Betts 
so far? I mean, coming off of the hip injury last year. I was going to say it, it's nice that he's running so much. He has three steals already, but his sprint speed so far is only in the 37th percentile. Mm. It was a steep drop last year to the 53rd percentile, and it, it's dropped even more here. So that's interesting and not in a good way. <laughs> I think when he was able to be in the lineup last year, he was still pretty good. He was not quite first-round caliber, but certainly a must-start player. And the strikeout rate is still where we want to see it. I think he's going to be fine. I'm not especially worried. The steals, you know, I already had my doubts about him getting back to being a high-end base dealer, and I guess the the drop in sprint speed furthers those. But the fact he's been able to play every day, I think, is the most encouraging sign of all, mm-hmm. since he didn't end up having surgery on that hip. Yeah, the quality of contact is... Certainly not great early on here for Mookie Betts, but you're right, glass half full. He's playing every day. He's got those three steals. He's got three homers. Uh, it seems like he might be leaning into trying to like sell out for power a little bit. The 48% fly ball rate would represent a career high for Mookie Betts, but regardless, uh, you know he's only hitting 231. He's got 20, 21 runs scored at this point in the season. So Yeah, it, so if, imagine when he's hitting 281. I, I hope so. Sooner rather than later for Mookie Betts. <laughs> RBI leaders in April, no surprise. Jose Ramirez, by far, 28 RBI in April. Uh, Anthony Rizzo and Ty France were second with 21 each. Jose Ramirez had seven more than those guys. That is just awesome. Uh, steals. Julio Rodriguez had nine in the month of April. Jorge Mateo had seven. Harrison Bader had six. Scott, what do you think of this trade that I made on Monday? A 15-team, 5x5 Roto League. I needed speed badly. I picked up Ryan Helsley for 6% of my fab budget, and I traded him for Harrison Bader. Straight up. Well, Giovanni Gallegos came right back with a save on Monday. That's some notable context. You presume Helsley wasn't available after working two innings the day before, though I think he threw just 18 pitches. Mm-hmm. Uh, but Gallegos hadn't worked in a week, so I, you know, I don't know. That one's... It's hard to tell. It's hard to tell what the Cardinals are thinking there, but presumably Gallegos is still in the driver's seat. I mean, I'd rather have Helsley in a vacuum. I, I just I don't trust Bader as a hitter, and if he's not hitting enough, he's not going to maintain that steals pace. But in, in the long run, Helsley may not be that valuable himself. So I I don't know. It's fine, I guess. What's <laughs> funny, like as much hand-wringing as was going on as surrounded stolen bases during draft prep season. You know, people paying up for the few guys who would make a significant contribution in that category. I don't think anybody was really drafting Julio Rodriguez, Jorge Mateo, or Harrison Bader (laughs) to be big steals guys, you know? Mm -hmm. I mean, the only one being drafted at all was Julio Rodriguez and it was more for the all around upside than the steals. Yeah. So it's just, it's kind of funny that, you know, you, the, the people dominating your steals category in your Roto league may have been people who didn't invest that much in the steals category. Yeah. Might've draft 
drafted someone like Mateo with their last pick or, or picked someone like him or, or Bader up. I mean, those guys are still available in a lot of leagues too. So <laughs> might even uh, be out there in, in some category leagues. I mentioned Jose Ramirez, the number one hitter in both formats right now. The top three hitters in both formats, Ramirez, Manny Machado, and Anthony Rizzo one month into the season. Let's move over to pitching your ERA leaders in April. Pablo Lopez, 0.39 was the ERA. Logan Gilbert, 0.40. Pablo Lopez, by the way, finally got banged around a little bit here by the uh, Arizona Diamondbacks on Monday of all teams. The Diamondbacks, right? Four and two thirds, six hits, four earned runs. He still had seven strikeouts. He still had 18 swinging strikes. And his BABIP Mm. in this start was 455, despite only allowing four hard hit balls. Therefore, I think Pablo Lopez is going to be just fine. And he ran into that buzzsaw, David Peralta. (laughs) That's right. Uh, anyway, Pablo Lopez, uh, yeah, he's, he's great. Uh, as long as he can stay healthy, that's the biggest key for Pablo Lopez. The whip leader in April was Justin Verlander, 0.69, picking up right where he left off. Well, kind of, I guess. Short in 2020, he wasn't great. He only made like two starts, whatever. He before made one that. start, and it was fine. Yeah. But yeah. Clayton Kershaw and Joe Ryan just behind him, 0.70 with the whip. Your wins leader in April, Alec Manoa, Tyler McGill, and reliever Adam Simber. Each of those gentlemen had four wins in April. Strikeouts, Shane O'Mac. Do I got it? Here comes the money. Here we go. Money talks. Here comes the money. Shane O'Mac. McClanahan, 42 strikeouts. Second on this list was Carlos Rodon with 38. And then your saves leaders, Josh Hader and Jordan Romano, each had 10 saves. 10 saves in one month. That is, I just can't, I, I for some reason, Scott, I can't fathom this because it's a six-month season and it was like a shortened April and they still had 10 saves, which puts them on pace for like 60 saves over the course of the season. It's just, it's mind-boggling. You know, a guy who's gotten 60 saves before. Yeah, you can believe it. It's, it's been a long time since we've seen anything <laughs> it's like been that. A long time. Yeah. Uh, Taylor Rogers uh, also had eight saves in the month of April. Uh, what do you think, Scott? Anything you wanted to add to these April leaders? Uh, you know, I mentioned I think yesterday that Shane o- Shane oh I almost called him Shane O'Mac. Shane McClanahan is looking like. I think one of the clear breakout pitchers, not that he needed to break out that much. He could have just sustained what he was doing probably to live up to his draft position. But uh, the swinging strike rate and ground ball rates are both up significantly. And his XFIP looks like the one Corbin Burns had last year. Not that I think he'll be able to do that for as long as Burns did it, but it's an insane XFIP. And the the underlying numbers, of course, I mean, that's how XFIP works. The underlying numbers back it up. Yeah, um, he looks great. Yep, 3.00 ERA for Shane O'Mac, 1.59 XFIP, 1.78 Sierra, skill interactive ERA. He has been amazing. Scott, what do we make of these pitchers from Monday's action? Zach Greinke posted another quality start. You cannot make this up. One strikeout in this start. He now has seven total strikeouts. In five starts. I mean, yeah. how is he doing this? He's like a magician right now. It's it's quite weird. It's, if he continues to do it, he's going to break all of the ERA estimators. <laughs> That's for sure. I believe his... I was looking to see, like, is he just allowing 
some of the weakest contact ever. And no, his XERA entering this start was six. So, (laughs) um, you know, the XFIP's near five. The FIP actually is below four, but probably because he hasn't. I think he's allowed just one home run, which, you know, the the other thing I noticed about Zach Greinke is his ground ball rate is way down. It's like the lowest it's been in over a decade. So he's... Like, first of all, if, he, if he's, if he's going to get this few strikeouts, it almost doesn't matter what else he's doing. He's just not going to be that valuable in fantasy. Right. But l- setting that aside, I worry that uh, he could he could be, you know, I'm talking about all these hitters going to start picking up the pace in May. I think he could be one of the, the pitchers who suffers from that. But, I mean, he's also Zach Greinke, and if he entirely changes his approach to account for that, like that wouldn't shock me either. Mm-hmm. Scott, would you drop Zach Greinke for Chris Paddock, who had another solid start on Monday, five and a third, one run, three strikeouts at the Orioles. Uh, great control thus far. He has just two walks through his first four starts. The ERA is 3.15. Would you make that swap? Greinke for Paddock. I mean, I I guess I, I'm... I'm pretty willing to drop Granky for whoever catches my interest at this point. I'm, I'm not sure that Paddock is like, I'm not, I'm not convinced there's a lot of upside there either. Uh, so I, I'm, it's fine. I, I can take it or leave it. Okay. Two other pitchers from Monday. What do we think of these two? Steven Matz now has three strong starts and two bad ones. The, uh, he went six shutout with four strikeouts against the Royals in this start, he's kind of a mixed bag right now. Steven Matz, his ERA is up over four. His XFIP is 2.5, but his expected ERA is up over four. So it's kind of all over the place with Steven Matz. Uh, and then Jordan Montgomery is the other one. He was okay in the start. Five innings, two runs, five strikeouts. But I noticed a pitch mix change. He basically got rid of his four-seam fastball in this start. Uh, and he used his sinker a season-high 51% of the time. And his sinker has been much better than his forcing fastball. So I just wonder if maybe that can lead to even better results for Jordan Montgomery. Scott, what do you think of those two, Montgomery and Steven Matz? Yeah, it was interesting. It, he, he had 13 swinging strikes on 65 pitches. I mean, that's an incredible swinging strike rate for Montgomery. He's a guy who's underperformed his swinging strike rates pretty routinely. So I think... I think it's easy for an analyst to get faked out by Jordan Montgomery thinking there's upside that isn't there because, you know, he's been he's been a pretty unremarkable pitcher to this point and I don't really see that changing. But he's he's a fine streaming option, I think. He's he's usually pretty reliable, just not very st- He's he's consistently decent, I would say, and that that has value. Yeah, I mean, for what it's worth, only one of those 13 whiffs came on the sinker. They were mostly on the changeup and curveball. Maybe the pitch mix made the changeup and curveball more effective, but it's yeah, I, I need to see more. Mm-hmm. I've always noticed with Montgomery, his fastballs get hit hard. Fast, His four seam and his sinker, he's never really been able to get consistent results with those two pitches, but you know, maybe if he just focuses on one of them, then that'll work, right? He'll have the sinker, which he can use to get ground balls. And then, of course, the changeup and the curveball to get swings and misses. That is Jordan Montgomery. Uh, a few pitching leftovers from Monday. Patrick Sandoval, he finally allows a run. This this start was at the White Sox. Six innings, three runs, three walks, two strikeouts. It was a pretty 
Bah, performance. Jake Odorizzi, back-to-back quality starts. Six and two-thirds shutout with three strikeouts against the Seattle Mariners. And Drew Rasmussen makes it two strong outings in a row. Uh, this one at the Oakland A's. Five innings, one run, three strikeouts to one walk. Scott, anything you'd like to add on Sandoval, Odorizzi, Rasmussen? So Sandoval and Rasmussen, even though the results were good, they are both kind of disappointing after the big whiff games that they had last time out. Rasmussen, I mean, he allowed one hit in five innings. It was Oakland. So, you know, maybe we shouldn't get so excited about that, especially since he had only six swinging strikes on 83 pitches. That was compared to 19 swinging strikes in his last start. And he kind of, he reverted to more typical pitch usage in this one after really emphasizing the, the cutter and the slider in his last start. So that may have been Kind of a, a mirage, which isn't to say Rasmussen can't be a useful pitcher, but I, I don't I don't know that he's going to have many stud outcomes like he did in that previous outing. Sandoval, I mentioned in in that last start that he got his changeup usage back up after not throwing it that much early on. I, I thought maybe he just hadn't built it up enough yet with the short spring and and. Uh, yeah, hopefully he'd start throwing it more. He he threw it a decent amount in this start. He thirty percent of the time, I think, and it did get eight swinging strikes itself. So it was an effective pitch for him. Why he didn't have more than two strikeouts in six innings, I don't really know. It may have just been one of those things. But I I, I obviously have. More hope for Sandoval. I, I did coming into the year. More hope for Sandoval than Rasmussen, uh, even even though he had just two strikeouts in this one. All right, some hitting leftovers from Monday. Paul Goldschmidt went two for three with his second home run. He now has multiple hits in seven of his last ten games. The batting average has climbed tremendously for Goldschmidt during that time. That's, that's one of those hitters who was terrible last April and then ridiculous the rest of the season. So hopefully that's going to happen again for him this year. Yordan Alvarez went one for three with his seventh home run. He now has three homers over his last four games. I think much better days are coming for him as well. Kyle Tucker, four multi-hit games in a row. The batting average now up to 262. A week ago, it was like 150 for Kyle Tucker. So uh, it can, it can, things can still change pretty quickly this early in the season. Wander Franco, I mentioned earlier, he went two for four. He is batting 322. And if you need extra proof that the ball is not traveling this early in the season, somebody on twi- uh, Twitter sent us the StatCast readings for a Ronald Acuna fly ball from Monday night. 109.4 exit velocity, 25-degree launch angle. It traveled 411 feet. The expected batting average for this quality of contact was 1,000. <laughs> so, <laughs> should have been a hit, probably should have been a home run, and it was yeah. caught up against the wall. So. Now, w- worth noting, since I've been speaking optimistically about offense here, like it's still, there might be individual instances like this around the league like it, it's definitely a worse environment for hitters overall. It's just, is the impact going to be so stifling for every hitter or is it going to be, is the macro effect going to have less of an individual effect as the environmental conditions improve? So that's one thing I want to mention for this. The other thing is, is it was 53 degrees in that game. So it was still very much an April weather 
sort of game, even though it was May 2nd. So obviously there aren't going to be many 53 degree games going forward. You know, Scott, I was thinking about going to the Mets game on Wednesday. It's still too cold here in New York, man. Like what is going on? This is rough. <laughs> I don't know. Uh, just I cannot last, relate. Just last week, I started looking at condos in Florida, Scott. So who knows? Yeah, maybe maybe I'll come uh, come move out to your neck of the woods. Move and, here to Florida. It's the it's the cool. It's what the cool kids are doing. Yeah, apparently it really is though. <laughs> A lot of people are moving <laughs> to Florida right now. I don't. I think I chose the right the the wrong time to try try and move to Florida. We'll see. Uh, the call to the bullpen. Some things that happened on Monday uh, for the Cardinals. We mentioned earlier, but Giovanni Gallegos was back in the ninth inning. He gave up a hit but struck out two for his fifth save. Ryan Helsley, again, threw two innings and 18 pitches on Sunday. Scott, I'm try- I'm kind of getting Kansas City Royals vibes from this situation. I think they might just mix and match based on like the highest leverage and the lineup that's coming up. But I think both Gallegos and Helsley are going to get saves moving, fo- moving forward for the Cardinals. They were non-committal about making Gallegos their closer coming into the year, and I think it was just easy to default to him. If if Helsley is, you know, if he, if he's this world-beating reliever now, then yeah, they might be inclined to do that. It's it's just really hard to tell. Like I said a few minutes ago, I, I think Gallegos is still in the driver's seat here. But if I if I picked up Helsley yesterday, I wouldn't be dropping him because Gallegos got a save today. I think it's I think it's going to take a while for this to play out and and us to know for sure what's going on. For the White Sox, Liam Hendricks sure looked like himself on Monday. He struck out the side for his fifth save. His fastball velocity was up nearly two miles per hour compared to his season's average in this one. For the Minnesota Twins, up two to one, Emilio Pagan pitched in the eighth inning. He faced eight, nine, and one in the Orioles lineup. Yoan Duran then pitched in the ninth. He struck out one for the save. Duran has been awesome. 19 strikeouts Mm -hmm. to two walks over 12 innings pitched. His swinging strike rate, 21% 21% entering Monday, his ground ball rate, 61%. So he gets whiffs, he gets ground balls, he doesn't put the ball in the air, he's not walking anyone. Like He does exactly what you would want a closer-type reliever to do. Yep. The problem is he pitches for the Twins. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and they were reluctant to have Taylor Rogers in that role, even though he was obviously their most effective reliever the past few years. Now, he was left-handed, which I think encouraged them to use him more situationally than they might a right-hander like Duran, who, by the way, like you, you, you mentioned the numbers, which can speak for themselves, but he, his primary pitch is like a splitter, like a 97 mile per hour splitter. It's, it's, it's crazy. It's a unique pitch and obviously baffling for hitters. So I, I think at this point, everybody's rooting for him to to be the primary saves guy. Will he ever, or will he at least in any time in the near future, become a true closer? I'd kind of bet against that based on Rocco Baldelli's history, but it, it's nice to see him get this first chance with, uh, by the way, Emilio Pagan, who had gotten, I think he had gotten the previous two saves for the Twins. He pitched the eighth inning, setting up for Duran in this one. Scott, would you drop... I'm going to call them annoying relievers. They're not annoying. Their managers are annoying. But Hansel Robles, the Royals guys, would you drop names like that for Duran? Yeah. Yeah, I think I would. 
Yeah, there, there's just so much upside there right now. For, again, Yoan Duran is the name there. The Diamondbacks, Ian Kennedy gave up a hit and a walk, but picked up his second save of the season. Mark Melanson is currently on the COVID IL. For the Yankees, Chad Green picked up his first save. Aroldis Chapman worked back-to-back days, entering Monday, so they did not want to pitch him three days in a row. For the Braves, Kenley Jansen picked up his seventh save. And for the Astros, Hector Neris pitched in the eighth inning with a three-run lead. He faced the bottom of the lineup. Rafael Montero allowed two base runners in the ninth, but did pick up his second save of the season. Montero looks great, by the way. Remember a couple years ago, he looked like the obvious choice to take over as Rangers closer, and it didn't go well. He has 15 strikeouts in 10 10 and a third innings for the Astros. And I'm, I'm not saying Ryan Presley's job is in jeopardy, but if Presley has more issues with, with the knee or with velocity or whatever, then maybe Rafael Montero is emerging as the clear backup option there in Houston. All right. To stream or not to stream for Tuesday and Wednesday. Uh, on Tuesday, first up, we've got Jamison Tyone at the Blue Jays, Bruce Zimmerman versus the Twins, Michael Waka versus the Angels, Michael Pineda versus the Pirates, Drew Smiley versus the White Sox, Chris Flexen at the Astros, Christian Javier versus the Mariners, Dakota Hudson at the Royals, Brad Keller versus the Cardinals, Paul Blackburn versus the Rays. Lots of options here. Yeah. Yeah, a lot of options. Are any of them good? <laughs> I would say, I mean, we talked about him yesterday, I think. Dakota Hudson at Kansas City is my favorite. Mm -hmm. Christian Javier against the Mariners, probably my second favorite. How deep is he going to go with that start? I don't know. I can't really see myself doing any of the others, even even like Pineda against the Pirates. I just think he's too combustible. Okay. Do you actually start Charlie Morton at the Mets, Scott, if it's a daily lineup league? So I, I I advised going ahead and starting Morton in weekly leagues with the two starts, but the math changes when you're just taking it a day at a time, right? And this is the tougher matchup. Yeah, I, I think I would lean toward sitting him. I have a lot of Charlie Morton, obviously. He was my favorite pitcher to draft. And in all my weekly leagues, I can't say I started him in every single one. I, I started him in some, I sat him in others. So I kind of split the difference there. And uh, hopefully I won't be too mad in either scenario because of that. Uh, but I, I do think I do think he's going to come around sooner than later. But for this start, if, if we're just talking about Tuesday itself, I would sit Morton. I started him in all leagues, Scott. We're going down with the ship. That <laughs> okay. is Charlie Morton. Uh, not that that's very advisable. For Wednesday, we have Madison Bumgarner at the Marlins, Eliezer Hernandez versus the Diamondbacks, Jose Quintana at the Tigers, Martin Perez at the Phillies, Dylan Bundy at the Orioles, Kyle Bradish versus the Twins, and Garrett Whitlock versus the Angels. Dylan Bundy at Baltimore might be okay. It's kind of a pitcher's park now than compared to when he pitched there. Eliezer Hernandez, I could be okay against the Diamondbacks unless that buzzsaw David Peralta gets to him. <laughs> he could. I, I don't really trust Madison Bumgarner. I know the results have been good in terms of run prevention, but not a lot of strikeouts, and I, I don't think he's gone beyond five innings yet. I don't really love that one. I, I don't love any of these, but if I, had, if I had to name a top three, I'd go Bundy, then Hernandez, then Bumgarner. 
All right, let's wrap up with some emails and Team Name Tuesday. This one's from Tyler, a dynasty trade. I was offered Dustin May, Teoscar Hernandez, and Tommy Edmond for Shane Bieber, Michael Kopech, and Royce Lewis. My other pitchers include Kyle Wright, Walker Bueller, Mackenzie Gore, Jesus Lozardo, Tanner Houck, David Peterson, and Cal Quantrill. I assume all these players are being kept on equal terms since you didn't include any keeper costs. Mm-hmm. And I think that's a trade you have to take. Getting the Teoscar Hernandez side. No, sorry. It's a trade you have to pass up. Man, I'm (laughs) always reading those backwards. No, I think... Hmm. Does Does it really come down to Bieber versus Hernandez? I mean, Bieber's younger than Hernandez. And obviously the so. dynasty angle. Do Kopech and May cancel out, or is Kopech more valuable just by virtue of he's not recovering from Tommy Johnson? I mean, obviously he's more valuable in yeah. the immediate term, but long term. He's more valuable right now. I think the totality of the players you're receiving are better, but Bieber and Kopech, that combination is probably more exciting, if that makes sense. It's a close trade. It is close. I think I think at a dynasty league I'd rather have Bieber than Hernandez, and that's that's ultimately what it comes down to for me. All right. This one's from Brian. Expecting Luke Voigt back this week, and I have Connor Joe currently at corner infielder. I'm assuming you all like Voigt better than Joe. But Joe is not in any of your first base <laughs> rankings. We've got to make that. I know he's recently yeah, he, gained, he recently gained eligibility yeah. there. So. Yeah. so we'll get him in there. Uh, Connor Joe is going to be head of Luke Voigt for me. Could, uh, yeah. I could move Connor Joe over to outfield, but I would have to drop Max Muncie, Adolis Garcia, or Taylor Ward. Uh, would you drop... Basically, would you drop Max Kepler to keep Luke Voigt on the roster, Scott? I do trust Voigt more than Kepler long-term. But Kepler's hot right now, and if you dropped him, he'll someone will surely pick him up. Yeah. Maybe not with Voigt. Kind of depends how deep the league is, because if it's... I guess I guess what I'm saying is if you feel like you can sneak Voigt through for a while while he's hurt, and, and obviously he didn't do anything before the injury, and that gives you a chance to see how the things are going to play out with Kepler, that would be the preferred way to go. I think in most leagues, if you drop Voigt, he probably stays dropped. But I do like him more in the long run, so keep that in mind. <laughs> uh, these next two questions are from Blake and Josh. I'm going to put them together. Uh, they're basically asking... If you should sell high on Mackenzie Gore with Clevenger back and Blake Snell rehabbing, uh, and a similar question for Kyle Wright, the matchups they point out for Kyle Wright have been really good so far. Cubs, Marlins, Padres, and Reds, and uh, Kyle Wright has never thrown more than 38 innings in the majors, though he has pitched an awful lot in the minors as well. So I've seen some people bring this up, Scott, that they're worried about a a potential uh, innings limit for... Uh, for Kyle Wright. What do you think about selling high on either one, Mackenzie Gore or Kyle Wright? Well, I think, I mean, Wright is showing some of the clearest signs of a breakout of any pitcher. And Gore obviously has top prospect in baseball kind of potential, top pitching prospect anyway, kind of pedigree, and appears to be living up to that now. Though his swinging strike rate is a little low considering the number of strikeouts he has. Uh, let's see. I'm looking through the history here for Wright, the innings history. So between the majors and minors last year, he threw 
143 and a third innings and had some in the playoffs as well. So I don't think there's going to be much of an innings limit for him. It wouldn't surprise me if they let him go 180 this year. I mean, except to the extent that hardly anybody throws 180 anymore. But the point is, I don't think you need to worry about it. With him, Gore maybe more so, especially since they have so many alternatives there in San Diego. You know, it, it comes down to who you're getting. I think Gore and Wright are both good. And so you shouldn't trade them as, as if they're not good. But uh, but I have to know what you're getting, obviously, to, to, to say for sure whether it's a sell-high trade. All right, let's wrap up with Team Name Tuesdays. Scott and Frank back at it again. No Chris here today to help us out. These are from Mitch, Game Show Edition. Who wants to be a McGillionaire? All righty. The Bryce is right. Spelled like Kyle Ryan, okay. Wheeler of Fortune. Sure. These are from Jason. You got that. You got the right Bobby. Apparently, it's uh, New Kids on the Block. You got it. Mm, the right stuff. Definitely before your time. A little before my time, too, to be honest. Uh, I know a few New Kids on the Block songs, though. Okay. I, I may have sang one at karaoke one time. I'll just mm. leave it there. This one, <laughs> this one's also from Jason. Alec in one, Wonderland. Alec in Wonderland. Solid. Okay. From Murray. Whip it real good. It's been done, but sure. <laughs> Whoa. Uh, this one's from Bernard. I double dog Santander you. I kind of like that. It's not yeah, I, I've been... I, I like playing around with the name Santander. Like chicken Santanders or something. I don't know. I haven't, I haven't landed on exactly what I like, but that's pretty good. Scott, remind me, do you not dip your chicken tenders in sauce or is it only not french usually. fries both not usually so you know you, it depends on the quality of the chicken tender oh gosh if it's if it's <laughs> you kill me with this take sky you kill me with this if it's a like if it's a if it's a if it's a real like specialty chicken place where the batter itself is delicious i don't want to submerge it in sauce and not be able to enjoy the batter anymore but if it's just like, you know, typical like carnival, run-of-the-mill carnival fair chicken tenders that are basically flavorless, okay, I'll dip them in some sauce. All right. Give me any chicken tender, and I'm drowning that thing in ranch. So <laughs> that's, that's just me. These are from Colin, Mr. Rogers Glaberhood. All right. Rice sell high and buy Joe. Ugh. Too clunky. I don't like those team <laughs> names. It's like a Heath team name there. Uh, these are from our Apple Podcast reviews from Regan Boy. Connor Vaughn, my T-Ward Quan. Oh, no. <laughs> Carry on my wayward son. Uh, you have to put it in parentheses or nobody's yeah. going to figure it out. Or you, you need like a really good team logo to go with. Yeah. It. Connor Vaughn, my T-Ward Quan. Kind of works. I guess. Uh, from middle class citizen, wakey, wakey, hands off, granky. Uh, mm. I don't know. I don't get it. What, what is it referring to? <laughs> I don't know. These are from Roddy C. 77. The book of Bobachette. Okay. Yeah, it took me a long time to associate the name Bobachette with Boba Fett, but. Makes sense. Now I can't unhear it. <laughs> uh, Mark, can I have a beer? I mean, there's no topping. K 
can I get a what what? Classic. As a, as a team name with Mark Canna. But you probably have Seth Beer and you're trying to fit that extra name in. I don't think it's worth it. But do like symptoms. Sure. Nolan in the deep. I don't get that one. <laughs> it's uh, it's an Adele song, Scott. Rolling okay. in the deep. It's fine. There you go. Uh, from Maddie A, 23, Bartolo's Cologne. Classic. Uh, from Jim Beam, 2.0. Shohei, what's going on? <laughs> That's good, Scott. You know the song, What's Up, uh, for non-blondes? I don't. Yeah, Sorry. We'll listen to it together right after this podcast. <laughs> uh, from Math Rocker PDX, you say goodbye, I say a gallo. That kind of works for fitting three names into it. Yeah, it's like usually it. a stretch, but that one's okay. From uh, ZBSICEM, that's a weird name. Uh, Nolan puts baby in a hot corner. This was from a movie, I think. Yeah, Dirty Dancing. Oh, Dirty Dancing, right. Yeah. It's all right. All right. F- from two two man ads, probably too many ads. Uh, Lordess of the Rings. All right. Uh, Bo money, Bo problems. <laughs> Solid. <laughs> and, that reminds me of the classic team, Heath team name. Yasmani money, Tomas problems. <laughs> that's that's solid. Yeah. Uh, Yasmani Tomas. Good old days. Uh, last one from Trollololololo. Stephen Quaner Joe classic i feel like we've got that a few times already all right we're gonna wrap there for scott i am frank thank you all for listening and watching fantasy baseball today we'll be back again tomorrow bye-bye